We're doing some things differently today, praise God. We went full raw on the service. I would almost call it a blackout service where they turn on the lights and give me a microphone. So. But we still wanted to go as raw as we could and, 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 and pure in our worship to the Lord. How many of you guys have been following us through this series, Refresh? Praise God. This is amazing. If, if you've been missing out on the series, we have a podcast. Go on your on whatever it is, device that you use, and look it up. It's available on all the major podcast channels. And you can hear the series refresh and understand why we're doing what we're doing. If you found us online, if you're new here, first and foremost, welcome. Thank you for being here. We love you. Let us thank you. Let's welcome. Thank you for being here. Let's give a TVP welcome to those who are here. They almost forgot for a second that we don't do church for church people. We don't do church for church people. We do church for the broken. We do church for the person who needs to get into the presence of God. We don't do church for the person who has it all together. Let them do church on their own because they got the answers. I don't have the answers. I got to come to Jesus. Praise God. At any rate, this there's something amazing that's going on in this place. And if you're new here, then don't miss what it is that God wants to do in your life. Go check out our podcast. See what this series is about. Praise God. Before I go more into that, I want to read his word. Can, we, can you join me in the reading of the word today? Praise God. We're, we're having a raw service. No, no equipment or nothing like that. So if you want to uh, read this word, go into your Bibles. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 10. If you have it, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, if you got something that says Luke chapter 10 on it, please turn to it and, and let me know when you get there. Say amen. 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 I'm going to give those of you who don't got it another 10 seconds, praise God. But God is doing something in this place. And I want to, I want to get to his word. I want to, uh, to allow him to move according to his spirit. There's something that he wants to teach us. And in the series, we're talking about refresh and rest. And, and, and there's a place of rest that God wants to get us to. I'm saying that right now because somebody came in here with burden. Somebody came in here with the weight of the world on their shoulders. And, and today is the day that God wants to give you rest. That's why you're here today. Luke chapter 10, we're starting at verse 38. Scroll on down, scroll down to verse 38. When you're ready, say amen. 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 The word of God reads in the name of the Father, the Son of God. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how in tune we are with the Spirit of God. That last song that we sang had nothing to do with the worship team. It was spontaneous. Some young girl that was here on her knees started singing it, and we all joined in, and it's exactly the scripture that we're reading now. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, say Martha, Martha. opened her home. Say, opened her home. Opened her home. She had a sister called Mary. Say, Mary. Mary. Who sat at the Lord's feet. Say, sat at the Lord's feet. Sat at the Lord's feet. Did we just say that? Did we just say we want to sit at the Lord's feet? Amen. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Say, distracted. Distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made. Say, had to be. Had to be. Made. Praise God. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Say needed. Needed. Or indeed, only one. Say one. One. Mary has chosen what is better. Say better. Better. And it will not be taken away from her. Praise God. 
we're preaching today from this message, from this title. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. Okay, you're able to say yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough. I don't know. You gotta have. You gotta say it a certain way so that they truly understand the depths of the contempt in your sarcasm. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Lord, tell her to stop worshiping at your feet and help me serve these tables. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for your mercy, Lord God. We're in an amazing time and place of worship, and we are in this, 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 this facility, and we feel your spirit, Lord God, but it's not about where we are in this place, Lord God. It's about where we are in our hearts. And when we leave this place, Lord God, we know that you're coming with us, that you're going to touch us and, and speak to us where we're at. And we're going to bring your light to our homes, to our families, to our jobs, Lord God, to those that need it in this world, Lord God. Lord Jesus, it's amazing what you're doing, Lord God. But right now we're here, Lord God, surrendering ourselves to your word, Lord God. Tell me, Lord, speak to us, speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits, Lord God. Open us to your word and write it in us, Lord God, so that we can understand it and have it, Lord God, and it can be what sustains us when we leave here, Lord God. We pray that you use this man, this pastor, my God, as your vessel, Lord God. Use use me as your vessel, Lord God, to to reach these people, Lord God. Silence my mouth, silence my mind, Lord God, the things that are of me, of my spirit, Lord God, and let let my mouth speak your spirit, let my mind run with the things that are of you, Lord God, so that these people can get something from this today, Lord God. I'm worth nothing, I can give them nothing, I have nothing, Lord God, but you have everything, Lord God. So I give myself to you today, Lord God. Tell me to use me as your vessel. Pour out into these people through me, Lord God, and and, and to to and, and, and through them into those others that need it, Lord God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. The church says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much. Praise God. It's okay. You can clap and worship God again. It's fine. Whenever you feel like worshiping God today, let it happen. Praise God. When the Lord touches you to worship, then just worship. This ain't gonna be one of those, well, I'm not gonna promise anything, but <laughs> this ain't gonna be one of those screamy sermons where you know I'm gonna be all excited and stuff. Uh, there's something that God needs to teach you in this time, and again, I'm not gonna promise anything, but I'm also hitting for not very long. Okay? But um first things first, and let me tell you something that God told me at the end of last year that's really important. God's gonna do something amazing with this church. <laughs> I don't keep saying it every time. Amen. God's going to do something amazing with this church. He told you? Yeah. He's going to do something great and powerful and mighty. And if you're new here, you're like, okay, awesome. That's good. That's great news. But if you have been with us in the long haul, through all the ups and downs that we had, then this thing should reach you and hit you hard because we came from a place where, well, I'm from New York. Do you? If you have that New York pride, they're like, yeah, it's awesome. But if you've, if you've really been there, we're like, God delivered you, brother. I came from Brooklyn, New York, and we moved here to start this church. It was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, this past August, that we moved, well, we moved here in February 2019. 10 years ago, that past February. But we started the church 10 years ago, August. And what happens is we started this church in a living room. In the house living room, there was just a few people there. And, uh, you know, through the process of time, God grew the church and 
you know, we kept growing and growing. We moved to another facility and another facility until we reached our last facility. It was a really nice place. It was big, it was spacious. We really do a lot of things there. It had its goods and its bads. You know, the bads leaked from the ceiling. Like you can literally be looking at me right now with water dripping. You know, stuff like that. But it was also goods. You know, it was huge. It fit everybody and then some. We had a place for kids' church in the back and all that stuff. And, you know, we were going through, we kept seeing growth from glory to glory. To glory. We kept seeing God doing great things. And so it, it's not a stretch for us to be in a place like that and for God to say, I'm going to do something great through this church because we have seen his growth. We have seen his movement operating in us as a church. The only problem was, you know, we were in the house for six months and then we went to another church that we were renting from and we were there for six months and then we went to an even bigger church that we were renting from. We were there for a year and then we got our own facility finally and we were there for two years and we moved into the next and everything was happening so fast. And then we got stuck at that place over there. It was big, it was great, we did a lot of things there but we were stuck there for six years. For six years we were trying to grow. The numbers weren't coming we weren't seeing the financial growth that we thought that we should see. The, the spiritual growth that we thought that our leaders should be having. It wasn't happening over there. And so, though we were operating according to the identity that God placed on us, there were some, some missing pieces there. There wasn't the pieces that you could see with your eyes. With the pieces that if you looked in the spirit, you would see that there were some, some, some things that needed to be adjusted. And God said, I have something for this church to do, and it's going to be great, and it's not going to be 10 more years from now. Tell your neighbor, it's not long now. <laughs> but what I need to do in order to get you to the place that you do is I've got to fix these broken pieces or throw them away. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Bible says. So don't, get, don't let it get to a place where he's either got to fix you or throw you away. God started doing some adjusting, and the leaders in the church were going through some things, and indeed, other people in the church can, can relate, they've gone through some things in their lives, and, and you're not where you were six months ago, and, and raise your hand if you're not where you were in spirit six months ago, God has worked on your life, and you went through some things, but you can see that, that going through the death that has taken you to a promised land in your life, and you've seen growth in your spirit. Yeah. And so from that, we get to this. How do we get to this? It's, it's kind of interesting because even though the building is smaller, the facility is more restrictive, and we can do less things here than we were able to do over there, the broken pieces are starting to come together. Yeah. The things that you can see with your eyes, we can't paint these walls, we can't set this place up the way we want to set it to, and all that other stuff that we want to do that, that, that is our identity as a church, doesn't match what God is doing on the inside and he's lifting up leaders and he's preparing people and there are people who are sitting down who are now standing up and there are people who refuse to grow in the Lord who are now leading other people to growth in the Lord and he's doing some things in his life. And he told me he was going to do it. So I'm, I'm happy to see it happening before me. And when I look around, I don't see us getting smaller. I see us growing bigger in spirit. It's all a part of preparation. See, God does not give us more than we can handle. The Bible says he won't give us more than we can handle. And we take it to mean that he won't put temptation or trouble in our way more than we can handle. That we always have a way to get away from trouble and temptation. But what happens when blessing becomes the trouble? What happens when the thing you're praying for becomes the temptation? He won't give you more than what you can handle, whether it be blessing or trouble. 
If you don't have 400 chairs in the church, don't pray for 400 people. Just being practical. Praise the Lord Jesus. And so what he's doing in us, in this church, in you, in me, is he's preparing us in spirit for something that he's going to bring into reality. And it's coming soon. Coming soon to a theater near you. Praise the Lord Jesus. You're going to see it. It's going to be on display for everyone to see. This community, this city is going to see what God is going to do through you guys. Don't look at me and say, well, Pastor Mike is equipped to do it. He's been doing this for 10 years. He gets into prayer. He knows the Bible. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. No, it's you. You guys sitting right there. You're the next big thing that's going to happen to this church. There are ideas being birthed in people's minds and hearts right now. And you're sitting on those things like, um, should I bring this to the pastor? Yes! Should I bring it? Is this really what God? Yes! This is the time where where God is doing things and moving in your life and fighting some of your battles and clearing some things out of your way and opening some doors for you. Don't watch an open door swing shut from the wrong side of it. And so what I want to tell you guys is that God is doing something great. He's doing it in you guys, and he's going to do greater, and it's coming soon. So, so be open. Be willing. Be ready. If you stuck with us, stick with us a little more. You're going to see the fruit of your labor. God says, God says, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, in due season, in the right time, a harvest will come. You will reap a harvest of righteousness. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Who's excited? And all that's to say that God is doing something great. We left that nice big facility that we had with kids in this little camp ground, but you know, it's been amazing. It's been awesome. It's intimate. We're able to get, you know, into the spirit of the Lord and grow closer with each other. And yet there were some things that we were doing that were kind of um, restricting what God wanted to do in our lives. You see, moving from a place where we could do everything that we wanted and did a lot of things that we wanted, it was hard work. If, you, if you've seen us before online or you were part of our church for all this time, you know that this, what you see around you, is not our identity as a church. TDP has a unique identity. When you walk into a TDP church, you know it's a TDP church. Heck, when we were setting up a tent behind Sister West backyard for our first youth service, you could tell that it was a TDP tent out in the back. It was different. We didn't just walk in there and put some chairs out and stuff. We set up lighting in there, and we had our, our instruments set up a certain way, and we set up the, the chairs a certain way, and then we create. We always work to create an atmosphere because we understand that the, the word that comes out of my mouth is not the only thing that's speaking to your life. The person that's standing at the door is speaking to your life when they smile at you and welcome you into the house of God. When you sit down in that chair, how do you feel when you sit here? It's speaking into your life. When you hear the music and, and, and the worship of, 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 of the people of God, it speaks to your life. And so all of this, it goes into I mean, and We work hard to make sure that everything we do speaks into your life. But there, there is this thing that God is doing in this church where he brought us into a place like this because he wants to continue speaking into your life, but he also wants to speak into our lives. As long as we're working hard to, to allow him to speak into your life, we're not leaving room for him to speak into ours. And so he stripped us down. Plain and simple. He stripped us down. This is not what you would think of when you see TDP Church. You wouldn't see a camp. You know, you wouldn't see white walls. You wouldn't see an American flag, a Christian flag, and you know, a gray rug with a there, there was a wooden um, lectern here. We moved it out of the way to put ours. That's about the only thing that 
we wanted to do today, but there was no drum set. This is ours, you know. Uh, this wall is white. There's this wooden old school cross right here. You know, our lighting would not have worked in this kind of environment. So we put the black curtains so that we could, you know, do some stuff with lighting and, and, and our graphics and all that stuff. But this is not our identity as a church. If you've been to our church, you know our identity is to create this atmosphere where you, you just know where you're at when you walk in. Amen? You feel the love, but you also feel that it's different. There's something different about it. And when you walk in here, it doesn't look any that different from other churches. I mean, you know, we put the, the walls up, but other than that, what really looks different about this place? And it's not about what you see with your eyes, but what God is doing in your spirit and in your life. Praise God. So, so, so it's hard work. There's somebody that has to prepare us a, a slideshow and, and, and programming. And, you know, we have to learn how to use that stuff in order to get it done. And there's someone that has to edit videos and cut and do all that stuff and coding online and, and websites and all that stuff. And there's somebody who has to, you know, do accounting of the finances and all that stuff. And then, you know what, it takes a few days to, to, to prepare a sermon. And, it, and, and there's someone who has to, to practice at 6, at, at 7.30 in the morning before they can sing to you and, and, and the band. They have to get it right. And throughout the week, they're working on the chords and they're working on the lyrics and all that stuff. And there's communication going on. And you know what, the, the, the leader of Connections has to make sure that her team knows this is where you stand. This is what happens. And, and you know what? When, when, the, when, the, when the offering is collected, you guys have to do this and that and the other. And kids' church, they have to print out forms and they have to do all kinds of stuff and, 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 and get curriculum and all. And it's hard work to maintain the identity of this church. It's hard work. And so the hard part about coming over here was that we were trying to do all that hard work in a place that we could not create, make our own. When we leave today, another church is going to come here at 2 p.m. They're going to worship God, and this place is going to take on their identity. And you know what? On Friday night, some other church is going to be in here using this place. We're going to leave here Thursday, and on Friday, some other church is going to come in, and they're going to make this place in their identity. So it's hard for us to come into here and make this our own, because every single week that we make it our own, we also have to undo our identity. And so it was hard for us. It's hard for us. It's hard for us. Because we came into a place that we had to settle for some things. We had to settle for the fact that there's a dirt road out there. And, you know, we don't have the big sign that we had over at on 192. We have, we have the little sign that we had to put under somebody else's sign. We got to put out the flags every week and the, the tent and all that stuff. And you ain't seen that today because we didn't do any of that. And really, God spoke to me and said, all the stuff that you're doing as a church is reflected in all the things that we as human beings do to try to get to a place of worship with God. Because everything we do as a church to set up our identity as a church and everything is to get you guys to a place of worship with the Lord. We don't set up a church so we can look cool. So that you can come in here and say, wow, look at the lights and the graphics. It's amazing. No. We set it up so that you have a place where you feel comfortable getting into the presence of the Lord. And God said, all the work that you do as a church to get people in the presence of God is the same thing they're doing to get into the presence of God. They're just living it out. They're reflecting it. You guys work so hard to get people to my presence and they live that out in their lives. They do all kinds of work to get into my presence and they're doing things, you know what? It, it's too much because it doesn't take that much to get into the presence of God. All you gotta do is open your voice, close your eyes, call on the name of the Lord and you can be there. The Bible says he lives in the praises of his people. 
So all that other stuff you gotta do. There are people who will put on stuff and light candles and turn on music and it, you know, boil, you know, scents and all that stuff to try to get into the presence of God. A lot of incense and all that stuff. And God said, I don't, I appreciate your efforts, but I don't want all your work. I just want your heart. And so he had put this, um, he said, here's how I'm going to get you to understand it, Pastor Mike. Um, there's this song by a man named Matt Redmond. <laughs> Matt Redmond. And it's called The Heart of Worship. We actually sung it today. We sung it. It was the first song that opened up our worship. When the music fades, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. No. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. What does that look like for you? When you don't have the blankets put over your head and you don't have the candles to light, you don't have the incense to burn, and you don't have the what happens when your when your worship when your iTunes music account is shut down or your phone died and you can't put the worship music on? Can you still pray? Can you still come to the Lord when you haven't set the atmosphere for yourself? Can you let Him set the atmosphere for you? I'm sorry, I said I wasn't gonna shout. I let you guys do the shots. And so he stripped us down as a church so that we can learn what it's like to operate as a stripped down individual. <clears throat> so that we can learn to come into his presence without anything. Can you get to the presence of God without setting up? Can you get to the presence of God without the church setting it up for you? We were raw today. There was no piano strings. There was no music because you have to learn to get to God in pure raw worship without all that stuff. When we sang songs, we didn't have we didn't have lyrics on the screen because we're bringing them more than a song. So if you sat there and you're like, man, I wish I knew the lyrics to the song so that I could worship God, then you've already taken the wrong path. We're bringing them more than a song, somebody. And so what God is doing in this series, we're, it's, a, it's a time of refreshing. It's a time for us to rebuild. It's a time for us to get rest and, 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 and not do all the stuff that we're doing so that we can build up our strength and our energy. But it's also time for us to hit the refresh but you know how we understand worship and how we understand how we get to God and how we bring people to him. Amen. This is not how things are going to be forever. If you come next week, there's going to be an instrument there's going to be people singing with microphones. But there's a message that God wanted to teach us in this rawness that he's still the same God that can reach you when the piano's playing. He's still the same God that you can worship when somebody else is singing and there's words on the screen. You can still reach him even if you don't know the lyrics. Even if your word is, oh, he still will touch your life. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
so, so the first part of the series, I taught struggle to rest. Because that's us. You know, we work to get to a place where we can rest, right? We work all year for one week's vacation. We work so hard to get into the presence of God because we know that in his presence we find rest, right? But then we leave church exhausted and broken down. And I told you guys, Sundays was my worst day, right? If you call me after service in about three hours, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be waking up from a nap. Hello? Hello? People have done it. They're like, sorry, guys. I missed a football game and everything, man. But God showed me something. He's like, if you were leaving from this place more empty than when you came in, then you're doing it wrong. This is week one. Go back and watch. It's awesome. Uh, listen to it. It's awesome. Not because I spoke it. It's because the word, the word was good. Um, and he said, you know, he says in this word, come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. So if you're, if you're coming to him and you're even without rest, it's because you're not really coming to him. Because we can't separate rest from worship. Like Saturday we'll sleep, Sunday we'll work in the presence of the Lord. No. If you are in the presence of the Lord, you should be finding rest for your souls. You should leave here refreshed. Amen? In part two, that was last week, uh, the title was, It's Not You, It's God. We talked about how God strips us down to get us to that place because it's hard for us to understand what true rest is. We don't understand what rest is. We don't understand what it is that we need to, to the things that are in our lives that are keeping us from getting there. So God sometimes, he strips us down. He strips us down. And it's not easy. We talked about Joseph, and we talked about how, how his brothers took his his coat off that his father put on him and they put him into slavery and all this stuff. But at the end result was they stripped him in the beginning, but God clothed him in the in, in, in kingly garments at the end. And all that is to say that if, if you if you're stripped down, if God strips down your life, it's to prepare you for the great things that he will put on your life later on. Yes. Amen. Also a great message. Go back and listen to it. Praise God. But what I ended last week's message saying was that not only does God strip people down sometimes to get them to a place where he can put better things on them, but he's looking for a people who's willing to strip down themselves before him so that he can place the great things on them that he has for them. He's looking for people with a heart of, the, of a King David who will dance naked before the Lord and don't care what anybody thinks. He didn't literally dance naked. He had on like a priest inside room, but... He took off his king's crown and his kingly garments and he presented himself before the Lord as, as humbly and humanly as he can and danced before God. And he didn't care that everybody saw King David dancing humbly before the Lord. And when they said, King David, put your crown back on, put your kingly robe back on, you're going to humiliate yourself. He said, I will make myself even more humiliated than this for the Lord. Don't need to start taking some other stuff off. <laughs> When the devil comes to you and says, hey, you're going to humiliate yourself, start putting some stuff back on, you need to look at him and say, don't make me start taking some of this stuff off and go to war. And so God strips you down. He wants you to come to a place where you can strip yourself down. But how do you do this? How do you come to that place where you find yourself operating from rest? Because we've been talking about how you need to do it. But how do you do it? God's been getting us there. How many of you guys have been feeling rested in this series? How many of you have truly been being refreshed 
Amen. How many of you have truly been leaving church on Sunday and feeling like you got more than you go? And so, when we started the series, I was talking about how kids burn energy. You guys remember that? And what we do when they burn energy? Or what we do to get kids to burn energy. We run them around, we take them out, we let them go to the playground. Because we just, if they come home from school and they're at the house and when it's bedtime, are they going to go to sleep? No, we need to walk them like dogs so they can get all their energy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a minute. <laughs> like <laughs> Not with a leash. Jeez. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so, the thing is that we as kids were like that too. Our parents did that with us. But as adults, we never grow out of certain things. We never grow out of certain things. Sometimes, we, since, since the, the stage has been set, the foundation has been set for us to burn out our energy in order to get to a place of rest. When we grow older, we do the same thing. But we're not kids. We don't have the energy that we have when we were kids. And, and we're burning ourselves out instead of burning ourselves up. I said that in week one, too. We never grow out of certain things, especially when it pertains to finding a state of rest. When we were kids, we never wanted to find a state of rest, right? Did you want to go to sleep when mom said it was bedtime? No, you wanted to stay up. You didn't want to miss anything in the world, right? You don't even know why you did that as a kid or why that your kids want to stay awake. When they wake up in the morning, it's like torture. Get up, it's time for school, little Timmy. And they don't want to get up. It's like, you should have went to sleep last night. I don't know why you didn't want to. But do you know when a child is most restless? When it's the hardest to get a child to calm down, when they want something. When a child wants something, they obsess on it, right? Yeah, child, mommy, how about this? And it's like, oh, not right now. Parents, is there any parents in here? Am I lying? I have a daughter who has autism, and so obsession and compulsion is kind of her condition. So when she wants something, it's hard to get her mind off of it. Like, daddy, I want a cookie. And it's like, no, honey, you had a cookie. You had a lot of cookies. This is enough cookies. You see my daughter, she's had a lot of cookies. All right? Have you not seen her eating cookies? We were in kids' church this morning and she stopped to talk to Pastor Lewis. My wife stopped to talk to Pastor Lewis for three minutes. And when she got back, my daughter somehow found an entire package of cookies. Had it open and set up on the table there and was just having the time of her life. They're cookies. And she likes cookies. That's okay. But when she likes something and she wants it, it gets to be obsessive. And I would tell her no. And another minute later, she would come and ask me for the same thing again. And as long as she doesn't get what she wants, inside of herself, she cannot be at rest. And many of us are like that, right? When we're kids, we're like that. We see the commercial on TV, and we're like, Mom, I want that for Christmas. And then Christmas rolls around, and you get a lot of great things. But if you didn't get that thing, then Christmas wasn't good, right? I remember the Christmas I got my Nintendo. Yes, I'm that old. I'm, I'm old enough that the NES was one of my Christmas gifts as a kid. And I got it late in life because my parents were poor. So I was like eight years old, and I'm opening up all my Christmas gifts, and, I, and, and my father tricked me, he saved it for last, I hid behind the tree. So I got all these great toys, and it was amazing, and I was having a great time, but I felt down in myself because I knew that the Nintendo wasn't there. 
And later on, my dad got up and he pulled out the Nintendo. He's like, oh, I got something last year. And he pulled it out and made Christmas great. And it's not that I didn't get a lot of nice stuff, but until I got that, Christmas wasn't great. Now, was that true? Heck no, it's not true. I'm going to play with that other stuff more than I did with Nintendo. But the point is that until I got what I wanted, I wasn't at rest within myself as a child. And as an adult, many of us are like that. And so the thing is, when my daughter does ask for stuff, though it's not bad that she gets it, it's not bad that she needs a cookie unless you're like a person that's against children and cookies. I'm not. <laughs> Clearly. It's not bad that she needs a cookie. But what if instead of that cookie, I've got some ice cream? I don't want to eat the cookie because I want to get the ice cream. Sometimes she'll ask for something, and I don't want to give her what she's asking for. Like, we'll be in Target, and that's some favorite place now, Target. Come on now. <laughs> she'll wake up in the morning and say, Daddy, let's go to Target. I'll tell you what And we'll go to Target, and she'll want this one little thing that's 20 bucks, right? But then they have the whole set with, all, with that little thing and all the other stuff for 30 bucks. I'll be like, honey, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm not going to get this for you now because tomorrow I'm going to get something else better. And she'll obsess over that one little thing that she won't let me leave without giving her that little thing for $20. And because I got her that little thing that was $20, I'm not going to go spend another $30 to get her the same thing with all this stuff that And so she misses out on the better thing because she fought so hard to get the lesson. Come on, come on. And so sometimes, yeah, my intention is to get her something better than what she's asking for, but because she doesn't have patience when, when, when she gets that thing that she asked for and then she wants the other thing, you know what my response is? Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> and we as human beings have found ourselves in that place with God time after time where we have struggled and fought and, 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 and bit and scratched for what we want because we're not at risk until we get what we want from God. And he'll give it to us at the expense of something that he really wanted to give us that was better than that. But because we don't understand that there's something better here and we're spoiled rotten, he will give this to us. And then when we get this and realize that there was something better and we ask him for something better, you know what his response is going to be? Yeah. That's enough. <laughs> And so, it's interesting, I was listening to a message the other day, uh, Pastor John Wiesel, who is, uh, I hope I pronounced his name right, who is a pastor in Omaha, some church in Omaha, and he said he understands or realizes when his kids have not heard the word no enough, that when he does have to say it, they flip out. Like, like if it's something dangerous, he, he sees that there's... There, there's bad consequences of what they're asking for, and he tells them no, and they flip out. That's when he realized that he hasn't heard, the, that their kid has not heard the word no enough. Like, it's been a while that little Timmy here hasn't heard no, because now that I tell him no, now it's a huge problem. That means he's not used to hearing the word no. And what him and his wife do is now, after that, everything is a no. Can I play with this? No. Can I eat that? No. Can I go here? No. And he'll say it until they're comfortable hearing the word no before he starts saying yes again. How many times do you think we've brought God to that place? 
You don't see prayers getting answered, doors being opened, things happening in your life because every time something doesn't happen, you flip out so much that now he has to kind of train you to accept the things that you can't change. Somebody. Somebody heard that. Tell me somebody heard that. Yes. And so check this out. There's no greater example than Jesus himself. This is what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings. Who does he pray to? The Father. And pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Is God not able? And it says this. Here's, here's the, the mind blowing part. It says, and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. God heard his prayer. When, when, when Jesus was sitting there and said, and, and, and said, God, if it be possible, take this cup from me. God heard him. And when he was on the cross saying, God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says God heard him. But when he looked at him, he said, yeah, that's enough. Because the purpose was greater than the answer. God heard Jesus' prayer and the answer was still enough. So you're sitting there complaining to God, and then, then now your faith is shaken because you didn't win the lottery like you've been asking for, right? Or you didn't get that new car like you've been asking for, and now you don't believe that God is real. And he's saying, just because the answer is not yes doesn't mean there's not an answer. And just because the answer is no doesn't mean that there's not a blessing. But you know what else God did? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says this. Jesus went to be baptized. Okay? It says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and him I am well pleased with. It's very interesting that this all happened. This happened when Jesus was 30 years old. Jesus had not healed a single person, turned any water to wine, casted out a demon, or did anything in ministry before he went to be baptized. For 30 years of his life, he lived a normal life. So where did he get time in his normal life to come to a place where God would look on him and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased? God wasn't pleased with his healing people, and God wasn't pleased with his casting out demons, and God wasn't pleased with his going from town to town, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What was God pleased with? Because Jesus hadn't done any of that at this point in time. But still, he did something that God could look on him and say, this is my son, and whom I'm well pleased. Do you know what it was? It was intimacy and relationship that was prioritized throughout his early life. That when, when something inside him said, I'm the king of this universe, and I can heal this sick boy who's sitting next to me in class, he said to himself, no. The answer is no. And his mom knew who he was, because when he did reach that age, he was able to exercise his power. He went to a party, and his mom was like, can you turn this water into wine? So she knew who he was. So throughout those years, I can imagine when, the, when their last cow was about to die and got sick with a plague, that she probably went to Jesus and was like, hey, can you? I can imagine that when Herod was killing all the toddlers and they had to escape with him to Egypt, all the things that were done in that time, she probably prayed to God and was like, can you turn things around? And the answer was, 
No. Now, Jesus could have got up and said, I am sovereign, I will do this, and it would have been done, right? But the Father can look down on him and say, and you are well pleased, not because of all the yeses, yep, come on. Yep. but because of all the no's. Wow. been revealed sooner. He could have been revealed when the prophet looked upon him and said, this is the Messiah. The prophet could have turned around and told everybody, right? And they could have lifted Jesus up and raised him in the temple, and they could have set him up as the next king of the Jews right there. He could have gone to the best schools and all of that good stuff, right? And he in the best schools. He didn't have to be raised in the small little farming town of Nazareth or, whatever, or Bethlehem, wherever the heck he was raised. Nazareth. Jesus is Nazareth. <laughs> when the when when the magi came from the east, these these rich rulers from the east came and presented gold and all these different gifts before him. That was a good time for him to be revealed, right? They walked up to the king and was like, "Hey, we came to see the king of the Jews because the star from heaven is shining down on him, and we saw it from the from the east, and we came all the way this way." They could have. He could have been set up then. Instead of letting Herod kill all the toddlers, that would have been his moment, right? Maybe Herod could have had a heart attack and died and they would have lifted up Jesus as the king. Who knew? That would have been a good time, right? But the answer was no. Or maybe when Jesus was a 12-year-old boy and his parents took him to Jerusalem for the annual, um, for the annual um, sacrifice, and they lost him, and when he went back to Jerusalem to find him, he was in the temple teaching all the elders. Maybe that was a good time for him to reveal himself. How is it that this boy has more wisdom than the elders, and he could have said, it's because I'm the son of God, and revealed his power, revealed who he was. Maybe that was a good time to do it, but the answer was no. And you know what? Even after this baptism happened, where all the people who were listening to John the Baptist, all the people who were lined up on the bank of the Jordan River, even the Pharisees were there looking because they wanted to find a way to tear John down. They were all there, and the heavens opened up before all those people, it says. It says that the voice spoke from heaven there that they all heard it. And he said, this is my son of whom I will believe. He could have came out of that river and turned him around and said, you heard him, now follow me. He didn't do that. He disappeared in the desert. He could have taken that notoriety and ran with it, but the answer was no. The first thing he did before he did, before he healed a single person was he went into the desert and he began to say no to himself. He lived his whole life saying no to things. And now he had to say no to food and no to comfort and no to peace and no to water and no to all the things that could sustain his life so that he can experience what it's like for God to sustain him fully and completely as a model of what we need to live like when we say no to things. In his nose, he found rest. We think that it was his deprivation that pleased God. We think that it was the sacrifice that he did that pleased God. And so when we fast, we go into it with a mindset of sacrifice, right? When we give up things for God, we, we give it up in the understanding that this deprivation will make God happy. And so because he's happy and I have deprived myself, he will bless me. It's not deprivation that pleases God. It's it's, it's, it's a tool. The, the word no becomes a scalpel in your hands. It's a tool that God is going to use. It, it, used correctly, the no we give to others, is, it's not about sacrifice. 
It's about cutting things away from our lives. See, our yeses have created cancer in our lives and cancer in our times. And we see things as growth that God sees as cancer. You say yes to that promotion and we call it growth. But the position eats 16 hours of your time, six days a week. You said yes and, and, and to, that, to, to that position, and now it, it, it eats at your family time, and, and it keeps you out of church, and it takes away your sleep. And, and, and what, was, what you saw as growth in your life, God looks at it and says it's death. You said yes to that car payment, and you called the new car a blessing, and now you're getting overdraft fees for buying a box of ramen noodles. I can say it because I lived it. And what you saw as growth turns out to be a cancer to your life. You get appointed to preach on a Sunday. And you also told Sister Edna that you would cook for the potluck. And you told Fred you would give him a ride to church from Lakeland for morning prayer. And you look at all these things that you say yes to and you say, God is growing my ministry. But now you're late to church. Your message sucked because you didn't have time to prepare. And the food that you say you're going to cook for the potluck, you stopped at Publix to pick it up. <laughs> stop. I'm not saying Publix food is bad, but <laughs> stop saying yes to cancer disguised as growth. Stop saying yes to cancer disguised as growth. Jesus said no to himself. And because of this, when Satan asked him to change rocks to bread after fasting 40 days, his answer was, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. And because Jesus said no to himself, when Satan asked him to test God's faithfulness, his answer was, yeah, that's enough. And because Jesus said no to himself, when Satan came up to him and said, and, and told him, take the easy way to, to, to gaining the world that he came to die for, his answer was, yeah, that's a no. He would not have, we cannot have the power and the strength to say no to Satan if we don't first learn to say no to ourselves. Amen. And so no is the scalpel that cuts out the cancer that the yes is created in your life. And no is also the shield that keeps it from coming back. And so check this out. In Luke chapter 10, as we read before, it says, and Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the other's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or do you only want? Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, Martha and her family, Mary, they had money named Lazarus. We go on to learn that they were a wealthy family in Bethlehem, which is uh, outside of, of Jerusalem. We learned that, that Jesus met them and ran into them while he was on his way to Jerusalem to die for our sins on the cross. And it says that they got close to the point where their friendship 
um, warranted that when their brother Lazarus got sick and was was about to die, that they sent a messenger to Jesus to let him know, hey, your friend is sick. Your friend who you love is sick. He's about to die. Come because we know you have the power to heal him. So it says that they got close. But before they got close, they had this encounter where Jesus was coming to Bethany and Mary, or Martha, who heard about Jesus, invited him to come into their home. And since they were a wealthy family, they were able to put on spread for Jesus, his 12 12 disciples, and other people who were with them. And it says that while they were there getting ready, that Mary was working to set things up and feed everyone and do all this stuff while Jesus was speaking and teaching. And while Mary's doing all this, her sister Martha is sitting there hearing Jesus teach hearing Jesus speak. And now Mary gets upset, and she gets angry, and what happens is now she tells Jesus, hey, Lord, I know you're teaching, I know you're speaking into their lives right now, but do you think it's fair that I'm doing all this work, and my sister gets to sit here listening to you teach? And he says, look, Martha, you're doing all this stuff, and that's good. But you're concerned about all of that, and she's concerned about hearing me teach. And she's actually chosen the better thing, so I'm not going to take that from her. And so let me tell you something. When you look at your life, it's easy to recognize things that you should say no to, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we should say no to that we don't. For instance, say no to drugs, right? Plenty of times in my life I did not say no to drugs. And some other people here can say the same thing, right? But, you know, if you're from a normal standpoint, there's things that you recognize you should say no to, like drugs, right? You say no to drugs. There's other things in your life that you should say no to. Say no to, you know, uh, well, I don't want to say some things because it's <laughs> But we, it's easy to understand that there are things in life that we can say no to, that we should say no to, and we can recognize those things, right? Can we agree on that? But what happens when something looks like the answer should be yes, but but, but the answer really should be no, we can't recognize it? What happens when that happens in our lives? See, God wants us to change how we think about things and also how we respond to things. Because if you think that something is important and needs to be done, what is your response going to be? To do it, right? If you think it's important and that it needs to be done, then your response is going to be to do it. Your thinking and your response to your thoughts work hand in hand. But if you change how you think about things, then you will change how you respond to things. But also, God wants you to get to a place where your thinking and your responses don't necessarily work hand in hand, where you respond differently despite the fact that you think something is a certain way. What do I mean? A major reason why we don't find rest is because we prioritize things in our lives, right? We prioritize, and then we work down on this. And because it's important and it's a priority, we have to get it all done, right? This thing is important and needs to be done today, right? There are 33 things that I need to do in this day. 25 of those things are important and need to be done today. And and each of those activities will take me an hour to do at least. Is it possible to get all those things done? No. 
No, why not? Because there are only 24 hours in a day, and scientifically, eight of those should be dedicated to sleep. And so now you have an impossibleness to complete, and because of that, now there are things being sacrificed so that you can complete your list of important things to do. And so what God wants to do, he wants us to change our thinking and our responses. Now, in terms of our thinking, he wants us to change how we see things. Okay, maybe this thing is not as important as we think it is. Maybe this thing should not take as much priority in our lives as we give it. But also he wants us to change how we respond to the things that we think about. Maybe this thing is important, but we have to learn to live with the fact that we're not going to get it done today. We have to learn to live with the fact that we have to say no to certain things, even if they're important. Jesus told her it's important that you do the preparations that you do. The Bible says the preparations had to be made. You guys repeated it, so you know it said that. They had to be made. But Jesus said just because they had to be done doesn't mean they're going to get done. Because even though those things are important, there is still something better. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And so if you're going to find rest, you have to understand that even... If something is important, even if something was important enough to make it to your list of priorities, and I know we have a big list, you still might have to say no to getting it done. Jesus didn't say that Martha was doing bad things, right? He didn't say, Martha, Martha, why are you wasting your time doing all that stuff? That's bad, that's evil, that's against me, that's the devil. No. He said, I know that you're working on the preparations that had to be done. He didn't say that they were bad, but he did say that Mary chose the better. Martha did all the right things. She invited him into her house, okay? It didn't say that Mary went out and found Jesus and brought him in. Martha invited Jesus in. She brought Jesus to her family. Why did she bring Jesus in? They weren't good friends up until this point. She heard about Jesus and knew that he was a, 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 a teacher and a healer, and she wanted that presence of God in her home, in her life. He, she needed his word. So she invited him in. The problem is what she invited him in for, she was not able to experience because she was trying to get to the things that was important to her. She invited him in many times. How many of us have invited God into our lives and we have missed his blessing and missed his spirit, missed his calling because we're still trying to get through our list of priorities? And because she got distracted, because she refused to deviate from her checklist of priorities or live with the fact that something would go undone, she missed the very thing that she was looking for from God. How many of you guys are living that life right now? You've invited God into it. You heard the preacher preach, and yet you, and you, and you were made aware of a need in your life for God to come into your heart. But because you still left this place and you lived your life according to that checklist, Nothing changed for you. There was no transformation. There was no difference. There was no entering into his calling because you came here on a Sunday. You heard the word. It touched you. You invited Jesus into your life. But then you walked out of here and continued walking the same path and didn't deviate from it in any single area. And I'm not saying to go out there and, and change everything and become a whole completely different person. You don't have the power to do that. But in, in, in terms of what's important to you, if clubbing is more important than praying, then you're hitting the wrong things first. To find rest, even when something is important, 
If it's too much, you have to find the strength to say, yeah, that's enough. Even if it's important. Even if it's important that you call Tim because Tim has been your friend for 10 years, but you know that Tim's going to take up two hours of your time and you got homework to do and you got to put the kids to bed and you got work in the morning. It might be a good idea for tonight to say, yeah, that's enough. You love Tim, right? <laughs> you don't want to see Tim get hurt. But if you can change the way you think about it and say, maybe I can call Tim tomorrow afternoon after I got out of work and I have more time on my hands, then do, instead of looking at urgent, urgencies as emergencies, you will put the priority on God and he wants to do it in your life. And you will see change start to happen. Amen? Amen. And guess what? This doesn't change whether it's life or ministry. Later on in the book of Luke, or actually before this, if you look at the book of Luke, you'll see this scripture. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Who's Simon? Simon is Peter. Peter is Jesus' leading disciple. He's the guy that takes charge after Jesus leaves his room. It says, now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, so and it left her, it says. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out, and many people shouted, and you are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. What's going on? He gets to a place where he's starting to choose his disciples, the people that are following him, and he calls for Simon, who's later called Peter, and he says, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to follow me. You're going to be a great disciple. And God is going to use you in a mighty way. So he starts following him. And while he's in that town, he goes to Peter's house. And he stands there. And he comes upon his sick mother-in-law. So they ask him, hey, Jesus, you're a man of God. We know that you have um, a relationship with God. Pray over my mother-in-law so that she can be healed. So he does it. When they see that that healing was the response that happened, they're like, oh, this guy is, you know, definitely a man of God. And other people in the town started bringing their sick loved ones to him so that he can then heal them and deliver them. And goes on to, on to say that he was doing it all night. He says later on, or the next day, he went to a quiet place just to himself, and he was getting ready to leave, to go to the next town. And the people went and, and searched for him and found him and said, Jesus, what are you doing? And he's like, hey, um... I'm up. They're like, no, you gotta stay here. You can't leave this town. You're gonna be the prophet of this town now. This is your town. You gotta stay here and this town. And he said, I have to go to the other towns because I have to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's why I was sent. And he left. Jesus, you gotta stay here and keep healing our people and keep preaching to our people. And Jesus' response to them was, yeah, that's enough. Now, there's a few things that happen in this scripture. He gets to the house. He sees the sick mother-in-law. He prays for her. She gets healed, and then what happens? The Bible says that she gets up and starts serving them. 
See, there's an order to your yeses. All right, Jesus walked in and he said yes, and he served her, and then she was able to turn around and say yes and serve him. If he would have walked in the house and in her state she would have got up and tried to serve him, she probably would have died. And so we say yes to things before we have allowed God to work in our lives, and we kill ourselves saying yes to things, but God hasn't even worked in us yet. We've got to find the right order in how our yeses come up. And so he comes in, he heals her, and he's healing people all night long, but then he gets ready to leave. They wanted him to stay. But he said no. Why did he say no? Because even though he had the power to do what they were asking, even though he had the ability to do what they were asking, what he didn't have was the calling and the appointment to do what they were asking. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus was sent to this world to enter into the town of Capernaum and be their prophet and their healer. It says he was sent into this world to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world and that he would go from town to town preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so what did he do? He went there, he rested, right? He, he ministered, he did what he was supposed to do, but when he was finished, when the whole town had heard the gospel of the kingdom. He didn't stay there to make sure that every last person was healed and delivered. He preached the thing that would deliver the most, which was the gospel of the kingdom. And then he moved on to the next thing, leaving them equipped with what they needed more than anything else. Because even though he could lay hands on them and heal them, we also know that he could speak a word over them and heal them. But we also know that from this town, he could say, let your son be healed. And the demon in this town would have to come out and plead. And so what he left them was the better tool, the gospel of the kingdom, and he moved on to equip the next tool. And he aligned himself with what he was supposed to be doing. And the problem in our lives is we don't find rest, even in ministry, because we don't keep ourselves aligned with what we're supposed to be doing. And we keep saying yes to this and that and the other. And, and, and even though we have equipped this area to be able to operate without us, Something I learned in, in years of, of management is as long as you're there to answer a question, they will ask it. Even if they know the answer to the question, as long as you're there to answer the question, they will come to you before doing it on their own. And so if Jesus didn't leave, they would never find that place of growth in their lives, and the same thing goes for us. And we will kill ourselves answering questions that they already know the answers to. You know that you can ruin a good ministry by doing too much alone? God called you. He called you with great purpose. He wants to raise you up. But if you apply yourself to it and you give too much of yourself to it, you will ruin it. Yeah. A church with one pastor and no help with 500 people will close down in a week. Let me tell you. I mean, that's not like mathematically, scientifically proven, but from my experience with just you 120 people here, if I didn't have 60 people on staff here, that would shut down in a week. So. Right? It's true. Too much of yourself applied even to ministry can move. And also this, every yes that you give steals a yes from someone else who should have gotten the opportunity to step up and extend the ministry. There's a reason why all you guys are here is because I can't bring to this place where you guys can. 
And so every time I try to inject, interject myself into this area that you could be working in and be blessing, I will do what I can, which is not at the level that you can, and it will get to as far as I can bring it, but it will never go as far as you can bring it. But because I said yes, I didn't allow you the ability to say yes. And so God is trying to get us to a place where we understand not only do we have to say no to things in our lives, we also have to say no to things in the church. If in one hand you have this very important ministry that needs to get done, and in this hand you have rest, and you can only choose one, guess which one God would tell you to choose? He says, I will take these rocks and they will be able to cry out. So I don't need you to do everything because then you will turn into a rock. You get rest and let me raise up somebody else to be able to do that thing. And that's how he operates. But we don't see, we leave them as rocks because we keep saying yes. When God is trying to break that, their, their rocks down and allow them to be used by him. And so God wants us to get to a place where we can live with saying no to something important, even if it has to do with ministry. If it doesn't align with what we're supposed to be doing at this point, it could be what's standing in your rest. It could be what's standing in your rest. Pastor Mike. I know that you're preaching every Sunday, you teach on Thursdays, and you do reach and all this stuff. Can you also be a teacher in kids' church? Can you also be a greeter in connections? Can you also go out there and tell people where to park? If I say yes to every single thing that needs to be done, right? It's not that it doesn't need to be done, but if I say yes to it all, then what's going to happen in a few weeks is Pastor Mike's not going to have the energy to preach on a Sunday, teach on a Thursday, teach in kids' church, or even put out a pole outside for your parking. We have to learn to say no to the things that are important in life if we can't do it. It may seem important, but if we can't do it, somebody else will do it. We have to learn to say no to the things that are important in the ministry. God will provide a way for somebody to go and teach in kids' church. I said that the Lord was sending 10, right? He was going to raise up 10 of you guys. I already got five people down. There's five, yeah. there's five people in here right now. The Lord is checking out to speak to me after this and say, I want to sign up for kids' church. Okay? But the rest of you who don't belong anywhere near kids' church, stay away. Because it will steal your rest. And so check this out. There was another time in John chapter 6, it says that Jesus had done something, right? It says, then some boats from Tiberias, they landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. What they talk about is there's an instance in the Bible where Jesus feeds 5,000 people out of five loaves of bread and two fish. It says that he broke that those five loaves of bread, gave thanks to the Lord, and just kept handing it out in so much that he was able to feed 5,000 families. He just kept breaking, saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. He said, thank you, God, for blessing this, and kept handing out the bread. And each time he broke, new bread came out of his hand. And he kept handing out. 5,000 families were fed, and then they gathered up 12 baskets after them. And so it says that the boats came from Tiberias, and they landed near the place where people had eaten the bread. This is now right after that. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
So you're like, where's the guy that makes the bread? He's not here. Oh my God, we gotta go find him. Let's go over there. He's over there. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're not. He said, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He said, you're not looking for me because you know I'm the son of God and that I have something great that I'm doing in this world. You're not even looking at me because it was a miraculous thing that you all ate out of five loaves and two fish. What you're looking at for me for is because you know that I can create bread out of nothing. And it's not the power that you're looking for, it's the bread that you're looking for. And Jesus answered, he said this. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed the seal of the truth. So this is kind of the same situation that was going on in Simon's town, where he, he was able to heal, right? And they wanted to keep him there to continue healing, but he had already given them the greater thing, which was the, the gospel of the kingdom. And so in this same instance, they came to him, he showed them his power, and they said, you know, we were looking for you. He said, you're looking for me so that you can eat bread, but what I have given you is better than bread, he says. He says, you're working for food that will spoil. He says, but what I will give you will endure for eternal life. And so the kids said, hey, we're looking for you because we want bread. And his answer to them was, yeah, that's enough. I made sure that you were able to eat yesterday because we were out in the wilderness and there was nowhere for you to buy McDonald's. But you guys got in a boat and came over here to chase me down. You're now equipped to be able to go feed yourselves. And I have also given you the equipment to feed yourself. So yeah, that's enough. And so, here's the thing. We've learned that we should say no to things that even may be important in our lives. We've learned that we should say no to even things in ministry that we have nothing to do with, even though they're important. But what about when it is your ministry? What about well, if it is your calling, it's something that God has placed in your hands. See, Jesus was called to bless them. And he was called to deliver the bread of life to them. And he gave them bread, actual bread. But there came a point in time where even he, while he was doing the things that he was supposed to do, they wanted to suck more of it out of him, and he had to put a limit even on the thing that he was supposed to do. See, people will consume your gifts. Okay? If you preach good on a Sunday, they will call you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday so that you can talk to them for an hour on the phone to continue to, to speak the word into their lives and prop them up throughout their lives during the week. And that's not, I'm not saying that anyone is bad for needing the word of God and going to the, to the person of God that he has placed in your life, but people are naturally consumers of the gifts of, that God has placed in your life. If you're a person who is a prophet, people will always come to you seeking the word. Even if it's the, you prophesy over them in church, they're going to call you Monday night for a new prophecy, Tuesday morning at 4 in the morning for a new prophecy, Wednesday afternoon while you're on your way home from work, Thursday while you're on your lunch break. If you're a person who prays and people get healed, if you're a person who prays and people get healed, you know what's going to happen? 
people are going to constantly be calling you when they're sick, or when their brother's sick, or when their second cousin twice removed is sick. People consume your gifts. The idea of why God gave you that gift is not so that you can keep exercising your it's so that you can exercise it as you point them to God. People come to consume your gifts where you point them to God. Okay? You use the gift of healing so that people can see that God has power to heal their Amen. lives. And then when they come back to you, your answer should be, yeah, that's a no. You know where to go. <laughs> okay? It's not, okay, come, I will keep healing you until you're perfect and there's not a single issue of sickness in your body and not even bacteria from beef is inside your stomach. No. <laughs> you, you do what God has led you to do if he indeed has led you to heal them, and then you point them to him. You speak the word that God has given you over their lives, and then when they come back to you, you don't try to manufacture prophecy over them. And, and, try to, and now you've got to perform it. And, say, and now you start saying the things that you used to say before because it sounds good and, you know, God has got a great purpose in the call over your life. Yeah, that's general. That's vague. That's not. Stop trying to manufacture something that's not there. You give them the word that God gave you to give them, and then every time they come for you after that, you say, "Look in your Bible. Amen. The word is right there." You point them to God. Amen. Amen. People consume your gifts, but the idea is to point them to God. Do you know that churches and leaders will also consume your gifts? Oh, you play the piano. <laughs> Step on up. Oh, you play the guitar. Come see us after church on Sunday. Oh, you sing. Oh, you're a gifted preacher. Oh, you like kids. Oh, you look happy when you say hi to people. Come see me. I need someone to stand at the door. Churches will consume your gifts, and leaders will consume your gifts. But just because God has appointed you to a place doesn't mean that you should sacrifice yourself completely to give it to the church. Point them to God. It's okay if God has given you a voice to sing and you join the worship team, but now the church wants to have a Friday night concert, and this other church over here has invited your worship team to go sing over there, and now four days out of the week, you got to work your regular job, practice with the worship team and go sing in different places and you ain't getting paid for none of it. This turning for your answer to be yeah, that's enough. Yes, the Lord gave you the gift and you can use it, but God will always raise somebody else up. Yeah, come on, man. Right. Amen? Amen? We have always been a church that we struggle to make sure that we're not the person that uses up people's gifts. I grew up in a place that all you had to be able to do was press one key on the piano and you were already up there. They didn't know you from a hole in the wall. They didn't know, they didn't, you didn't have to go through team seven. You were on team zero. You were on team I can press a button. Here, here's a piano right here. We already got one. You just have to come. And churches will consume your gifts. And in the consumption of your gifts, in the consumption of your ministry, in the consumption of what God has placed you in, in this world to do, they will consume you and consume you and consume you until the, they stop consuming what God has placed in you and start consuming you. And, and, and you will keep saying yes and yes and yes until God decides, you know what, it's not going to be me through you anymore. I'm going to let you not be used up because you're operating outside of my room. There needs to be a no. 
Even at the end of your yes, there needs to be a no. Just because you said yes to God and said yes to the church, you still have to place limits. When I leave from here and I go home, you can call me. But at four in the morning, don't call me. Amen. I'm not like giving out a blanket rule or anything like that, but I'm just saying, I might, I'm probably not going to answer the phone. Especially if my daughter's sleeping next to me. I'm going to do what I just did, hit the nobody. Okay? Because it's just not the right time. We have to set limits even to the things we say yes to. Even if it's important. Even if it has to do with ministries. Even if it has to do with your ministry. Until you learn to say no, you are going to be at a place where you're never going to find rest. Because that is the subtle tool that the enemy uses against you. He will use the word of God and twist it. And, and, and make it seem like it's right, but it's not. There's a verse in scripture where it says that the way of a man may seem right, but the end of it thereof leads to what? Destruction. Don't follow a path to destruction because it seems right to you. See God. And if God says on the Sabbath day you rest, then on the Sabbath day you rest. He's not going to change his word because of the situation in your life. His word will change your situation. If Jesus had no limits, people would have taken his life before the cross did. Can yes cause cancer in your life even if it's within the scope of your ministry? Yes, it can. When you're sending yourself, there may come a point where God is like, you know what? We'll just leave it in your hands. Because you are not leaving it in mind. This church, we try to teach balance. We try to teach giving an equal amount of yourself to your life, to your family, and to the things of the Lord. I think that we're teaching it a little wrong. It's not as much about balance as it is about harmony. Being in harmony with God's will for your life. Being in harmony with your family in the Lord. Being in harmony with your church in the Lord. Being in harmony with your life outside the church, outside of your family, with the Lord. If you're not in harmony in any of those areas, you're not going to be in harmony in any of those areas. And it sounds like balance, but you don't give equal measure to God that you give to your wife. And you don't give equal measure to God that you give to your job. No, you give it all to God and you be in harmony with your life, your wife, and your and your and your And that's how you make a difference in this world. When when you say no to equal measure and you say yes to God, then things start to fall into the right places and it starts to come into harmony. But you gotta learn to use the tool that God gave you. Hey, Pastor, I know you just preached a long message this Sunday, but you know what? The preacher from that church called, and they said they weren't going to make it, and I know you preached good. Can you preach the two services in our church on Sunday night? Your answer has to be in harmony with God's will for your life. Maybe as they called you, the Lord placed a word in your heart, and he gave you new strength, and you're like, heck, yeah, I can do that. Or maybe you came off of this altar, and you were like, and you looked up and you said yes? No, your answer should be yeah. That's a no. God will lift somebody up to be able to do that. You're not the savior of this world. He is. And as long as, as, long as we keep operating with a savior complex, we're not going to find rest. To operate from a place of rest, you have to know when to operate and when to rest. You will have to say no, even in the ministry that he's appointed you to. Amen? Amen. Okay. 
So with all these no's, where's the yes? In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, he says this to his disciples. This, well, the scripture says this. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses, right? More of the same. But it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So they came to hear him and he came to preach. But at a certain point in time, he had to say no to them and say yes to prayer. And yes to intimacy with the Lord. And yes to his personal time. Later on in Mark chapter 6 and verses 31 and 32, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves and the boat to a solitary place. If you're going to say no to all this extra stuff, there has to be something that you say yes to. When God is stripping you down, and if you're stripping yourself down, you have to be careful what's taking the place of your yes. There's a scripture in the Bible where it talks about a guy being delivered. It says, it says when a person is delivered, the thing that comes out of them, it goes around the world looking for a place to find rest for itself. Evil is looking for a place to rest and wants to rest in your heart. It says, finding no place, it returns to the person that it was delivered from. And seeing the house empty, but swept clean, it now makes itself home and brings seven more things worse than it was. And the state of that person was worse than when it was delivered in the first place. How many of us are in a place like that? We've learned to say no to the point where now we're saying no to everything and there's nothing filling up our lives. We're not filling our house. We're not going to God in prayer. We're not spending time with Him. We're not filling ourselves with His Word. We're not fasting. We're not worshiping the Lord in our private time. We said, no, we can't go out tonight. We need to rest. And we stay home and we watch Netflix all night. The state of that man will be worse than in the beginning. You came to the Lord. You were delivered. You said no to drugs, but then you pick, pick up alcohol. You got to be careful that when you strip yourself, and when God strips you, that you don't put on something that he doesn't want you to put on. What are we saying yes to? This, what you saw Jesus do, that's how you operate from a place of rest. You do the work that he's called you to do. You say the yes to the things that you're supposed to say yes to. And when it's time to say no, you back away from that and you say yes to God. Amen. You say, yes, Lord, I will be in your presence. Yes, Lord, I will rest in your spirit. Yes, Lord, I will commune with you. Yes, Lord, I will have this intimate time of prayer and worship with you. And if you can do that, when it's time to get back into the fray, you will be at a place of rest. Amen. He says, I will give you new strength. You will soar with wings like eagles, right? You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Why? Because you got to that place where you were recharged in your communion with God. So you were able to run without getting tired. You were able to run. Your spirit is able to run without getting tired if you take that time to connect with the Lord. Amen? You try to run without resting. How far are you going to get? 
I'm not going to be that far at home. Okay? Amen? So you say no to the things in your life, even if they seem important. If you can't do it, you have to learn to live without doing it. You say no to the things, even if it's ministry, if it has no business with you, then you have no business with it. And even if it is your ministry, you can ruin it by taking on too much of it yourself. The way to combat those things is by seeking the Lord, getting into a place of intimacy with Him, and having that relationship with Him. Stand to your feet. When you get to that place of rest in God, guess what time it is? It's time to work. Guess what time it is? see a clock right there. When you get to that place of rest in your spirit, in your life, when you're able to get to that place that God says this person can operate from a place of rest, you know what he's going to do? He's going to use you to operate from a place of rest. Let me read this scripture to you. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. Who lived in Bethany? Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. Now, I told you that he was sick and he was gonna he was just gonna die. Do you know that he died? And Jesus went and raised him from the dead? He raised him back to life from death. And so it says that he went back to that town and he was with Lazarus. And his sister says, the dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. It says, Martha served. Anybody surprised? Martha served. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, it doesn't say that Mary was at his feet hearing his voice. It doesn't say that Mary was sitting there listening to his teachings. It says, Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. It says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth the used wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. This time, Mary wasn't at the table. She wasn't eating with Jesus and listening to him talk. See, there's a time for that. But when you get to the place where God says, you can rest in me, he says, because you can rest in me, I will operate through you. It says that Mary wasn't sitting there listening to him talk. It says that she came out with something that was of worth and something that was of value, and she was put to work in that moment. It says that she broke her work before the Lord and poured out onto his, onto his feet. And it says that she anointed him and, 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 and cleaned him with her hair. It says that when they started to complain about it, he, said, he let them know there is a greater message of what's going on in her right now. Because she sat at my feet and learned the first time, she's able to sit at my feet and work this time. She's able to sit at my feet and do something that will resonate for generations. He said, wherever the gospel is preached, they will tell of this story. When Mary took the expensive alabaster box, a perfume that was worth a year's wages, and poured it out on me. Because when the time to work comes... Because you were ready, because you made yourself available, a person who was able to rest in the Lord, he will use you to do great things. But when the time to work comes, 
there is a certain way that it has to be done. When you get to the place that you can operate from the place of rest, you have to bring it broken before the Lord. It is something of great value. And other people might see what you bring before the Lord and question why you bring it the way you are. Because they're not used to operating from a place of rest. We don't know what it is to operate. People walked in here today and said, why is this church singing without any equipment or anything like that? God gave them all that equipment and all those talented people. Somebody walked in here and said, why is that church, why are they singing without any microphones or anything like that? There's two perfectly good speakers right there. Why has this whole series been raw and broken down? Because we're breaking our worship before the Lord. Because we have learned to operate from a place of rest. And it don't look like what it's supposed to look like that we're used to. But it is valuable. And it is great. And what it brings to the table is something different than what we were able to bring before. If she would have served with Martha back then, it stands to reason a good chance that she would not have been in a position to break her worship before the Lord at this moment. And what she did here was more valuable than what she did before. But she wouldn't have got to this point if she wasn't at his feet in the first place. She wouldn't have had access to his feet at her place of work if she was not at his feet at a place of rest. So what does God want from you today? He wants you to get to his feet in a place of rest. He wants you to get to his feet in a place of rest because he wants you to be at his feet in a place of work. Some of you are like, that don't make any sense. It's a spiritual thing. When you work for the Lord, there is a way to operate in his spirit and not leave drained. There is a way that I can preach to you every Sunday and walk out those doors and feel like I got something out of this. There's a way that you can come here and serve in Connections and serve in Kids Church and serve in worship and leave here being filled with the Spirit of God. But that doesn't happen if you don't get to His feet. You can't break your worship on His feet if you don't come to His feet to receive from Him first. There's an order to your yes. The order is, yeah, that's a no. Before you say yes, to all these things, say no and yes to God first. Amen? Amen? If you can say yes to him, he will give you the power to say no to you. If you say no to you, you have the power to say no to the devil. Amen? Amen. It's simple. It's not complex. It's not even deep. But it will get you to the next level. It will get you to the next level. How many of you want to leave this place every week feeling like God filled you up? Yes. The only way to do that is to be able to operate from a place of rest. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads so we can pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your time, for what you're trying to get us to understand and, and the place that you want us to operate in. We come before you today and we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves humbly to what you're trying to teach us, Lord. We want to be at your feet today, receiving from you so that when you have lifted us up and sent us forth, we would still be in a place where we're at your feet. Because we understand that in spirit, there can be a cycle of us pouring out and you pouring in to us. But this whole time, we've been pouring out until we're empty and then we go to you to get refilled. And that's out of order, Lord. So we come before you today, we apologize for that. And we say to you, 
that we want our cup to overflow, never ending, so that we can flow into others' lives, pour out your spirit into their lives. As long as we're beneath the fountain that doesn't end, we know that we can pour out life that doesn't end into others. And so we come before you today surrendering our work, our efforts, the things that we understand about how we've been working to rest so that you can put rest in ourselves. We give our burdens to you. We take your yoke upon us. We know that we need to say no. We pray that you give us the, the understanding of what to say no to and the boldness to say no to those things. And we pray that you give us the understanding of what to say yes to and the boldness to say yes to those things. We pray that when we say yes, we are operating in your spirit. And that when we say no, we are also operating in your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.